0: a new series this week. We'll be here for the next four weeks together. It's called Four by Grace, and we'll be going through the book of Ephesians together. This is a study on the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church of Ephesus. Will you go with me to chapter 2? We're going to read from verse 4 through 22, and that's a lot of verses. And verse 4 through 10 really kind of set up the whole series, and, and we'll come back to those a number of times over the coming weeks. Verses 11 through 22 is really where we're focusing in this morning, but I wanted us to read these together, to have these in our minds as we prepare to, to talk about this book of Ephesians together. So will you go with me, chapter, four, uh, chapter two, starting verse four, you can turn there in your Bible, it'll be on the screen, all right? But because of his great love, which we we're just saying about, because of his great love, see, just like that, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do God's good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promises, without hope and without God in the world. Remember, that's who you used to be. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed their barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. So, right here, this visual for you. You got two? Just like that. Back to All right, so. Actually, but it's one. One. All right. That's my, you know, visuals for the scripture today. All right. By setting aside his flesh, the law with the commands and regulations and his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those of you who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Mm, That's a good word. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. I know that was a lot more scripture than we normally read together. There's a lot of content. We're going to dive into it, but I thought it was important for us to hear it all because as we begin this series, for the next four weeks, we talk about for by grace. This is a phrase that I hope we will all try to live by, by grace, for by grace, because that is the lens through which I want to see the world. I want to see the graciousness which God has for us. And for others, and in so doing, the world become a better place. When we all see through this lens of grace, we see each other with love and not hostility, with unity and not division. If it were by grace that we understood ourselves, if we saw the grace that God has for us, our living would be holy. We would be holy in living sacrifices for the Lord. We would see ourselves not with the degradation that the world tries to throw at us. But with the affirmation and the grace that God truly wants to give us. For it is by grace, for it is by grace that we have life, do we have salvation? Do we have the gift of faith? Unfortunately, I often fail to see through this lens, and I see the world in other ways, I think we all do, is the cause of sin and the brokenness of humanity. And this letter addressed to Ephesus, attributed to Paul, helps us reframe our vision towards God and understand that our focus should not be on this world in the ways it calls us to live, but on God and the ways in which God calls us to live. So over the next four weeks, we'll be covering four main themes from Ephesians. We won't go verse by verse throughout the entire book because I could not do that in four weeks. I couldn't do that in 10 weeks because there's so much content in it. And if we're going line by line, it would just... I'd be be preaching for an hour, which I wanna do, but I just don't know that y'all would wanna stay. So I'm not gonna do that. We're just gonna cover the four kind of big themes from the book of Ephesians. We're gonna celebrate that together. And this morning, to begin, I would like to preach from the subject, the Holy Catholic Church. And yes, you heard me right, I know. You came to a Protestant church this morning. You came to Methodist church. We're not Roman Catholic, but just hear me out. Give me about 20 minutes. I'm gonna try to make sure that it will be as clear as possible as we understand what it means to be the Holy Catholic Church. So will you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all I people said, amen. 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 Have I ever told you the story about um, whenever I asked for Brianna's parents' this blessing for us to get married? Um, it was, you know, six years ago now, our, our fifth anniversary it was just the other day. We were dated for a year, engaged for a year, been married for five years. And um, it was, uh, Brianna, if you didn't know this, was Roman Catholic before we got married. And she was raised in the Catholic church. Her um, elementary school, middle school, high school, all in the Catholic church. Her whole family is Catholic. Most of her friends growing up were all Catholic. She even thought at one point she'd become a nun. I'm serious, it's true, you can ask her. She thought she'd become, she used to watch like Catholic TV, like for fun. And she thought she'd become a nun until she got to college and met this stud. And she's like, I don't know. I'm just kidding, it wasn't my fault. (laughs) The whole time we were dating, Brianna and I, we went to three worship services every Sunday. We went to the two that I would lead in Prattville, like there's an 8.30 and then 11 o'clock service, and I would help at 8.30, and i lead worship for the 11, and then we would go to evening mass at Holy Spirit Parish in Montgomery. It was the Life Teen Mass, and her family would go to the evening mass because it was more conducive for the younger children, and so we would go to 8.30, 11, and 5.30 worship services every Sunday for two years, and um, it was interesting to do that while I was in seminary to really kind of compare the the Catholic mass against you know, our, you know compared to what our Methodist liturgy looks like and such but i 'd tell you all these things to the, to convey the extent of brianna 's Catholic heritage and the faith to which her family is still deeply convicted and, and will always be deeply convicted towards because when Brianna and I got serious about marriage, we knew it was going to be a shock to her parents that she wanted to marry. This bearded, long hair that was on his way to be ordained in the United Methodist Church, and likely going to be even more of a shock and difficult for them, whenever she told them or I told them um, that she um, was felt convicted about transferring her church membership to the United Methodist Church, so that you know, as a way of covenanting together to be in ministry as a couple, because we've always said it that way. Like it's never my ministry or, or my appointment. This is our appointment. We're ministry together. We serve God as a a couple, as a family. You know, I'm definitely not the only one in ministry in my family. Let me tell you that right now. Brianna ministers to so many people. But never in my life have I been more terrified than that evening when I took Brianna's parents to Mirko Pasta, which we have one over. This is the first town I've been in that had another Mirko. And I drove by, I was like, I'm not going there. (laughs) I'll tell you why. Um, we went to Merco Pasta because they, Brianna ran cross country and track and field at Huntington. They had a meet at Emory where I was in graduate school. And so they all, we went to the meet and then I took them to the dinner afterwards and Brianna went with her team to dinner. And we had a very cordial dinner. It was great, lighthearted. It was fun. You know, I have a great relationship with my in-laws and even always have had a, a fun, jovial kind of relationship. And I was sure, you know, by me asking them to go to dinner after we have been dating about a year, surely they knew like something was up. But if they knew, they gave no indication. Like, they were not about to try to start any type of conversation about our future. And it was just like, all right, dinner's over, the bill's been paid, and I hadn't said anything yet. And under the table, I'm literally, like, to this day, you know, I still shake just thinking about it. I'm, I've never been more scared about anything in my entire life. And um, I get to, we get to the end of the dinner and everything, and I say, all right, so there's something I wanted to talk to you all about. I told them about how much I love Brianna about how great she is, about how thankful I am for them, for the love they've given her, for the way they've raised her. There's all these things I'd rehearsed in my head to make myself sound, you know, better than what they probably imagined I was going to say or do. And so, like, the top of my, like, maturity that I could muster, um, probably the most mature moment of my life, actually. I tried as much as I could, but before I could even get all of it out, they started crying, like tears, like little, literal, 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 oh, my gosh. Literal tears welling up in their eyes, and I thought, oh, nope. <laughs> they were not happy tears, <laughs> and we uh, started talking more about it, and it, like, as the conversation went on, I was like, feeling worse and worse. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like breaking their hearts. They, they're gonna like disown Brianna. They, they're so upset with me. Like, am I gonna make it out of this restaurant? Like, will we? Uh, it's like, all these thoughts of just like terror sort of going through my mind. And so at the end of the conversation, at the end of the dinner, I said to them, I was like, you know, I don't expect your blessing right now. I know y'all need to talk about it. I know you need to think about it and probably talk to Brianna. And so please don't feel like rushed to tell me something right now. But in the head, you know, you're just saying that, like, just like a nice way. Like, hopefully they actually would say something like, we don't love it, but we give you our blessing and we'll come around to it. But no, they're like, okay, cool, we'll talk about it. Guess how long it took them to talk about? It. Four months. Four months. I had to wait to see if they would give, and here's the thing, like, Brianna and I, we were getting married no matter what, in my opinion, I thought, you know, and it, it, it wasn't that I was asking for their permission, because she was an adult, and like, they don't own Brianna, and she can do her own thing, but blessing is really important, we want to honor our father and mother, we want our families to be united, like, I'm trying to make sure I'm doing everything right, but four months, y'all, literally, I would, like, call Brianna, I'd text Brianna, I'd be home for the summer, and I'd be like, Brianna, what's going on? She's like, I don't know, they haven't said anything yet, like, she, this was the only time in our entire relationship where I'm like, is it really going to be Woods and Bree forever together? You know, is, is it going to happen or not? Like, the only time I've ever had a doubt about whether or not we were going to get married or stay married was in that four-month period when I was just like, how am I going to, what are we going to do? And the thing about it is, you know, in no way did I think her parents didn't like me. In no way did, did I feel like they were questioning my integrity or my ability. It wasn't the fact that I had a lack of income. You know, that wasn't a big deal. It wasn't my hairstyle. It wasn't my, my questionable choice in clothing. It wasn't the fact that I listened to rap music. It was none of those things. It was mainly the fact that I was not Roman Catholic. And one of the things I found so fascinating about Dauphin Way is the amount of former Catholics that are members here. And like, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because if so, like 60% of the congregation raise your hand right now. Because what's so funny is, I think every couple I meet, like one was a Catholic, one was a Baptist, and y'all got married, and you're like, hey, let's go to Dolphin Way. And um, <laughs> all the people that laugh, you know, that's you. That's like the majority of the congregation. But what's been so good about that for me and for Brianna is like, man, there's, there's a lot of conversation to be had. There's a lot of grace to, be, to live into. And there's a lot of collective experience that we all share. And so as I tell this story, maybe many of you can identify with kind of what I'm talking about, about this kind of the, the, the deep-seated nature of Brianna's parents' conviction about us getting married. It wasn't that they were concerned that I was this terrible person. It was they had a deep conviction about their faith that compelled them to believe that the Roman Catholic Church was the way to ultimately experience God in the fullest sense. And they wanted that for their daughter. In fact, they wanted that for me. They they wanted us to experience God in the most full way possible. And to do that in the mind of the Catholic Church is to do that as a Catholic. And so in no way do I ever fault them for being apprehensive. Or, or thinking the way that they did then or even today because I know they want the best for us because they love us. And I imagine when August gets older and we have a conversation like this, I'm, I'm gonna want what I believe is best for her and she's gonna maybe not always think that is the best thing for her. Maybe some parents can identify with that right now, right? You're like, no, this is what you should do. And the kid's like, no, nah, that's what I should do. Like, I'm sure there might be a chance that I will have that type of conversation as well. We are all products of our experiences, our choices, and our beliefs, that's what makes us who we are, our experiences, our choices, and our beliefs. And if we're convicted enough to believe something strongly in a way that makes it, allows those beliefs to govern the way we act, and we think that is the most preferred method of doing life the way we should live, it would make sense that we want to share that with others and that we would want to encourage them to live likewise. That's the basis for evangelism. That's the reason why we tell people about Jesus. We, have, we know this great life, And we want you to experience the fullness and the goodness of God's grace. However, what I often end up doing with that conviction of I've got things, I've got a good life, I've got things figured out, is I want to talk about, um, this is kind of what I want to talk about this morning, is that more often than not, instead of celebrating all the things that make me who I am and make our beliefs what they are, I tend to disparage and denigrate others' beliefs because they're different from mine. Have you ever done that? Like, I have know my beliefs, and my convictions, and so, like, I don't believe what they believe. They must be wrong. So th- can you believe that they believe that, you know? That's kind of the essential way for humans to look at religions and denominations, right? We often look at those who are not us as being less than us or being different than us because they don't believe what we believe. We are better than them because we believe this, and they believe that. And if you believe that, then you just, you're dumb. You can't know what's right from wrong. And friends, I think... If I were to tell you what my greatest sin is or the thing I sin the most, it's probably this. I mean, this is one of the things I sin in daily, that I'm constantly have to remind myself to not view the world in this way of, oh, they believe in predestination, so they're silly, or, oh, they believe in transubstantiation, and that's bogus, or, oh, they handle snakes, and that's just dumb, and actually, I'm not going to lie. That was tough to get over, (laughs) the the handling of snakes. We had a snake in our backyard the other day, and it was a garter snake, and I didn't want to kill it because it's not going to hurt anything, but snakes scare me, so I'm trying to get over that one. But I'm trying to see, you know, not to think less of them because they believe that. And this is unfortunately the way I think we often view other churches. This is often the way we view other churches, even in our own community, not just denominations, and sometimes the way we view other religious systems entirely. We have this classic dualistic mind that we talked about a couple weeks ago us versus them. And I believe I'm right, and I believe this, and I'm the us, and they believe that, so they are the them. And the irony is. Every time I say the Apostles' Creed, I affirm that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. This is ironic in two senses. I never omit that line, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Last week, if you were with us during our combined service, we said the Apostles' Creed, and we said, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And as Protestants, when we say that line, it might seem foreign to us who don't understand why it's there, what it means. I've had plenty of people, if, if people ask me anything the most, it's probably that. Why do we say Holy Catholic Church? Our Ephesians text this morning helps us think about this frame of mind, this lens. It's, it's In this second chapter, we are reconstituting what the church is. What is the church? And by church, I mean big C. Like the, the whole church, all the churches around the world, the, the church. I don't just mean just Dothan Way or just United Methodism, but Ephesians opens up this conversation about the church universal. Up until this point in Paul's writings, in the writings of, of Paul, the self-proclaimed apostle, and I say self-proclaimed apostle because Acts, where he's first mentioned, does not mention him as an apostle, and he was not one of the 12 that followed on Jesus. So either Paul is just a real bold follower of Jesus, or he's a little arrogant, because so he'd be like, yeah, I'm an apostle, what's up? So, but anyway, however you see that, Paul, the, the apostle Paul, he comes, in, and he would go to different areas of the ancient Near East, of ancient Israel, in the first century, and he would go to this different area, and he proclaimed the good news about Jesus Christ. This is all after he's had a conversion. Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, had a big conversion. He was a, a, a Jewish leader who persecuted Christians. On the road to Emmaus, he had this big conversion experience where he was blinded, and a couple of days later, he, he got his sight back after he had this experience of Jesus, and after that experience, he wanted to dedicate the majority of his adult life to serving Jesus by starting churches, and by telling the good news. And so Paul would go to these different areas in Israel, and he would plant a church, essentially. He would go there, he would tell people about Jesus, he'd cultivate a community, and then he'd plant this church, and then he'd leave and go do it somewhere else. And the way in which he continued to offer instruction to this church was through letters between he and the church leaders. This is the majority of the New Testament. It's letters written by Paul or somebody else in different instances that say, hey, we've got this specific problem Paul, what do you think we should do about it? And Paul would respond. It's always very contextual. It's always very specific to that church. This church is having this problem. Paul, what should we do about it? And what our New Testament is, is Paul's responses to the questions. And so we can kind of, it's kind of like when you listen to somebody on the telephone, you don't hear the whole conversation, but you can kind of get the gist of it because you hear their responses. That's essentially what a lot of the New Testament is. It's Paul's responses to people who have questions about how to do things in their community at their church. However, what a lot of people might not know and this is a little less common knowledge, but still very applicable and important, is that in the ancient Near East, in the first century, much like Jesus had disciples who would follow him around, anybody who was kind of a leader had that, had these kind of schools, these people who would follow them around, who they would teach, they would instruct, and then send out. It was, the, it was kind of the, the normal way, for not only for education, but for formation, is that you would attach yourself to a leader, and you'd follow them around, and then you'd tell everybody all the things that leaders taught you. And so they would do this, and Peter had his school, Paul had his school and they would follow each other around in different people, places and help start churches. And what is, what is ironic is often when Paul talks about false teachers, we think of them as like pagans or some other religion. But oftentimes they're actually the, the followers of Peter have come into one of the churches that Paul has started and said, y'all are doing it wrong, you need to do it this way. So they'll write to Paul and be like, hey, this is what these people are saying. And Paul will say, no, they are false teachers. Don't follow that way. The law is no longer important. You don't need the law, just do this. So we often get Paul's responses to theological issues, to questions in the context. But what also we might not always realize is that what these schools would do, they would sometimes take with them the liberty of writing in the name of their leader, of writing in the name of the person who's taught them. And so of the 13 letters we have that are attributed to Paul, most people believe fully that at least six of them were written by Paul, by his hand, and the others, the other seven, might not have been specifically written by him, but by people who were with him, people who followed him, people who followed after him. And the reason I say that is because we think Ephesians might be one of those letters that was written by his school, his following, his followers. And the reason why that's important, actually, I guess it brings us to an existential question. Is that important? Why do I even bother putting this in the sermon? This is kind of boring. Would well, you get to the point. Well, for two reasons. No, it's not ultimately that important if we think of the word of God as just being God speaking to us today in this context and how does it the living word? It might not matter exactly who the author is if it's God who's speaking in and through it that informs our lives. So God says through Ephesians 2, you are saved by grace. It doesn't matter what person's hand wrote that down. That is God speaking to me to tell me that I have been saved by grace and that is good news and we celebrate that fact. It's also important though, so I would say no and yes. It's also important because when we think about this letter in particular, it's very different from Paul's other letters. Because what this letter does, it's more of a general letter written after Paul's death with people trying to figure out how do we do church in light of the fact that Jesus hasn't come back yet. Do you remember some of the earlier Paul writings? Do you remember some of the earlier books in the New Testament that talk about how those, there will be those who will not die before our return, Jesus says? And Paul was writing you know, right after Jesus has died And he's telling everybody, get ready, the Lord's coming back soon. The Lord's about to be back, so do all we can to tell all the people about Jesus that we can before Jesus comes back so that we can all experience this inheritance together. And so it's kind of like this really urgency, this sense of like immediateness. There's a great rapidity in the way that the earlier Paul letters write. But in Ephesians, we don't have that because what we have is about 100 years after the fact, there are churches trying to figure out, well, what do we do now that Paul is gone? Jesus hasn't come back. How do we operate? And what Ephesians offers us is not only like specific church instructions, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks, but it also offers us a holistic view of the whole church. Whereas the other letters from Paul are very specific to what's going on in a certain area of Galatia or in Rome or in Corinth, what Ephesians does is it's likely more of a letter that was circulated in a number of different churches that helps us see the church not only as our local community, but as part of a whole, as part of a bigger picture, as this united entity, this body of Christ. Because the work of God in Jesus was not only for those who were the insiders, but also for the Gentiles and those who thought themselves on the outside. Chapter two said, therefore remember that you formerly were Gentiles by birth, And then there were those of you who were circumcised. Remember though, at the time that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, you were without hope and without God. But now in Christ, you who were once far have been brought near. This is not only a message about individual personal salvation, that we were far from Christ because of our sin, but also that those who were not part of the church can now be part of the church. Those who we used to exclude, Christ wants to include that's a good word. That's a good message. And when I think about that word for us today, when I think about what is Ephesians speaking to us today, this reality of unity and inclusion has far-reaching implications as we think about what it means to be the church. This word helps us realize that we can look at our Christian landscape that has divisions and segments and is just broken in a lot of different areas, but that our differences are not that we don't have the same inheritance in Christ and not that they don't get the good news. Ultimately, what we should be seeing is the fact that God is at work in all the churches, that God is working in places beyond our own experiences. This is convicting for me because it reminds me that no matter how right I might think I am, that I should not look at my sisters and my brothers as less because they don't believe what I believe. That I should not think, well, y'all don't understand Jesus. Y'all don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Y'all don't truly know the work of God. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and his regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. In him, one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. For through him, we both have access to the Father and the Spirit. And that's a word I want us to be able to sit with this morning to celebrate. The word Catholic actually means universal. The words Roman Catholic denote a specific group of Christians. Roman Catholics are capital R, capital Z, Roman Catholics. But whenever I say I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, lowercase c, Catholic. I'm saying I believe in the universal church. I believe in the church beyond Dauphin Way on its own. I believe that God is at work all over Alabama, all over the country, all over the world. There might be time and spaces that divide us. There might be geographical distances between our communities and our congregations, but we together are united in Christ and we cannot let our denominational differences decide who is better and who is worse and who is more right and who is less right. In Christ, we have been brought together in unity by the Spirit. So I pray that we take the time to get to know more about our own beliefs, not so that we can use them as arguments against other people, but to be able to celebrate them and talk about them in an affirming way. Instead of trying to denigrate others and look down at those who we don't understand or those who we see as different, we instead see the commonalities between us and say, thank God that Christ is at work in your life. Because Christ is at work in my life, And I wanna talk about it and I wanna share that and I wanna know what it's about for you as well. May we be the church that does not look at our former traditions that we might come from or the traditions of others and think, thank God I'm not them, but say, thank God they are who they are and that we together are the church. As Ephesians says, we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. That is a good word. That together in Christ, we are united in faith. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the unity that you offer us in your church through the church. God, we ask that you help us not see our sisters and our brothers as other or different or less, but to celebrate the ways in which you are at work across denominational lines, the ways in which you are at work in all people's lives, the grace that you are extending to this world that we might not understand. Let us give thanks that you are a God that is bigger than our limitations. And beyond our imagination. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.